Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe a power greater than what you are going through when you don't know what to do. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing from the City of Angels in Los Angeles and normally from the Big Apple in New York City. Welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com. And we're missing our lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg at thecaregiverspace.org because she's a little under the weather today. So say a little prayer for her and send her some good vibes. And we are coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 25 audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, CastBox, <laughs> MixCloud, Listen Notes, Blueberry, Player FM, Podcast.com, <laughs> VIP Internet Radio, TuneIn.com, Facebook Live, Owl's Tale, you book, CaregiverDave.com, CastBox, Twitter, LinkedIn, Feedspot, and Podbean, and we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast in the top 50 on Player FM, and number two caregiver podcast on Caring Village, and number three on Feedspot out of thousands, and we do have an exciting show planned for you today after I catch my breath, how to negotiate your <laughs> caregiver journey. Cindy Watson is the founder of Women on Purpose. Hmm and creator of the Art of Feminine Negotiation Programs. And she's also founder and managing partner of Watson Labour, Le <laughs> Lawyers. <laughs> you in there in the word labor. Uh, she must be English or Canadian. As an attorney specializing in social justice law for 30 years, and she's getting a kick out of me, <laughs> she is an international speaker, award-winning author, master negotiator, and consultant known for her passion, commitment, and ability to inspire as a world-class woman's empowerment coach. Wow. Sydney has a proven track record, empowering, advocating, and motivating people to rediscover their purpose and become the best version of themselves. Wow, I told you everything about her. We don't even have to interview her now. <laughs> That's right, I'm done. <laughs> Before we get started, I want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, Esther Mabazi. Uh, and she lives in Norway with her husband, and she has two children. And uh, it was all about cervical cancer and how she beat it. And uh, that interview and all our interviews are on my Caregiver Dave website. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview on all those platforms as well. All right, enough of that. Um, Cindy, welcome to the show, and we're so excited to have you on. No, thanks for having me, and kudos to you. That's quite the list of uh, visibility that you've got there. Impressive. <laughs> Thank you. I usually don't read them all, but every now and then I will, because, you know, uh, some people might not know that we're on all of those. Yeah, so uh, I always like to ask my guest just who is Cindy Watson and why was she placed on this here green earth? Oh, <laughs> that is a great question. Um, and I think like most people, I've been on a journey to discover that. I think, uh, you know, I grew up in a low rental apartment and coming from nothing. At first, I thought my 
mission was to help the underdog. And I spent 30 years as a social justice attorney, and I still have that practice. So that definitely was the predominant. And about middle age, I started um, really tapping into helping people step in to rediscover their purpose and passion, hence Women on Purpose. But I've really mm-hmm. come to focus now. I, I would have to say, Dave, that my mission is to help reframe negotiation for people. You know, what and what you think of negotiation and how we do it. I believe that's a game changer, both personally and on the global scene. So, Well, you are the very first uh, negotiator that we've ever had on the show in like seven years. And I don't know why, because wow. it's a great topic. Caregivers <laughs> are terrible negotiators. <laughs> they don't know how to delegate and all yeah. of that stuff. So, um, uh, yeah. I don't know why we waited so long. I Maybe you're the first one that showed up and, and told us. We met you at the National Publicity Summit, right? I yes, think. and I'm, well, yes, I'm glad yes, to be your first. New York. <laughs> you're the first, hopefully not the last. Yeah. And so how did you get into negotiation? Because women typically uh, – now, see, I was about to say something sexist. I was going to say women <laughs> typically aren't good negotiators, are they? But that's not true. <laughs> they negotiate constantly. They're negotiating their kids. They're negotiating – you know, the the shopping and the laundry and, and this and that, and they, they yeah. juggle a lot of stuff. So they're actually excellent negotiators, but not when buying a car. Or am I wrong? No. <laughs> well, I, I am so glad you said that, and you're way ahead of the curve, if it's any consolation, Dave, because one of the fundamental myths that I'm always having to try and debunk is the fact that people believe women aren't effective negotiators. And I think it's because, and the reason I'm so passionate about it, I think, you know, on the global scene, I think we've all, on a world scale, been convinced and conditioned to see negotiation based on a traditional, sort of what I'll call a more masculine approach, a very competitive approach, where it's a win-lose scenario. And even when people talk about so-called win-win negotiations, it's still like there is some win to achieve. And in fact, it's interesting that people assume that men are better negotiators and my epiphany came for this reason because as a woman in law you can imagine very male-dominated industry i was in a male-dominated niche and i bought into that mess and i'll i'll be honest for your listeners and viewers out there my clients called me the barracuda for years and they meant it as a compliment the highest compliment and i wore it like a badge of honor there's a high cost that comes with that way of negotiating and ironically when i dug in If you really look at the markers that make the most effective negotiators, there's six markers that get considered, and five out of six of them, ironically, would be considered by most people to be feminine traits. So I love that you raised that right out of the gate. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, um, as I told you, I'm in touch with my feminine side because I can – I can, uh, as I told you, I can cry with a a good chick (laughs) flick with the best of them. And so uh, a lot of guys are ashamed to say that, but, you know, I'm not gay or anything. I'm straight. But, you know, uh, I think a man who's in touch with his feminine side, and I don't mean, you know, just being overly uh, girly or anything like that, but, you know, uh, there are traits that typically are attributed to women that men desperately need to have, like compassion, like empathy, like, you know, a sensitivity and stuff like that. Women love men who are sensitive, even though the myth is, no, they want some caveman yeah. to pull me by the hair and, yeah. and, you know, hit me over the head with their little club. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> so you talk about – go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just no, going to say are. it's funny when we talk about that because I, I take a lot of heat, as you can imagine, about calling it the art of feminine negotiation because people assume mm. it's just for women. But we all have masculine and feminine energies, and it's about yeah. identifying that. And I think – 
because we saw success as defined based on that masculine model, both men and women, certainly in the corporate world, but I think generally both men and women started to see those feminine traits as a liability. And I think it's one of the reasons the world's in a bit of trouble now. We've, we're way out of balance because both men and women are tapping more into the masculine as opposed to their feminine. So, Wow. Yeah, that's true. So when you talk about the art of feminine, you're not really just speaking about women, right? You're just talking about, uh, like I said, um, get in touch with your feminine and your masculine side. And you're probably telling women to get in touch with their masculine side and men to get in touch with their feminine side, I'm assuming, right? Um, yeah, less so more for women. I think I find, so, and the reason I focus on women is because most men already assume that they're better negotiators, or at least that's mm -hmm. the, the common perception. Um, so for, for men, I definitely try and encourage them to tap in a little bit more to their feminine. And, you know, sometimes I just close my eyes and imagine a world where everybody negotiated from this place. I think it would be a much kinder, gentler world where ironically, we actually get better results and more creative outcomes and have more impact. But for women, I find they tend to fall into one of two camps. They either shy away from negotiation because they think it's all about conflict and all about toughness, and they don't want and that Somebody conflict. has to lose. Yeah, there's going to be a loser, and I don't want to be seen as the capital B, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm supposed to be the nurturer and the caregiver. Or we get that what I call the opposite camp, which is that overcompensating energy, which I admit I had for a period, coming with that barracuda, take no prisoners kind of approach, right? <laughs> and, and the beauty is That's neither you're an of attorney. those are effective. <laughs> it is. You it can't is help kind yourself. Of bread that into you. It's terrible. But there's an easier way to practice, and I've come to learn that and actually get better results, which is kind of cool. Yeah, you know, negotiating uh, is always says, oh, it's a win-win. It's a win-win. But it, it isn't really in it in the negotiations I've seen. Someone has to win, and someone has to lose. So, I mean, is that a myth or is that a goal? Um, and and maybe I'm just not seeing the right kind of negotiations. Why don't you uh, oh, educate me here? I love this. You are, no, you, I, you are asking all the right questions because I, I, I do believe that's a myth. But I think it's a deeply conditioned myth, which is why, you know, at the outset I said I'm on a mission to reframe it. And the reason I feel so passionately that this is important is because all of life is a negotiation. Like as you alluded to, whether you're negotiating with your kids, your intimate partner, or multi-million dollar deals, all of these are a form of negotiation. So when people are um, framing negotiation improperly, it affects every aspect of how we show up for life. So I don't believe that someone has to win and lose. And if I could take a step back for a second, when we talk about what is the art of feminine negotiation, I mentioned those six traits that sort of make and mark the best, effect, most effective negotiators. And it's assertiveness, rapport building, empathy, flexibility, intuition, and trust. And ironically, if you read anything about negotiation or you look at some of the best negotiators sort of through history, those are the markers that everybody agrees make for the most effective negotiators. Mm -hmm. And ironic, and an easy mnemonic for your listeners, I just always say, think of our fit. You know, you are fit to be a great negotiator, mm -hmm. A-R-E-F-I-T. And leaving aside assertiveness for a second, rapport building, empathy, flexibility, intuition, and trust. 97% of people surveyed identify those as being feminine traits. And yet, ironically, we, we have this contradiction where we recognize that the traits that make the most effective negotiators are overwhelmingly feminine, and yet we don't see women as being effective negotiators. So for me, when you show up at negotiations using, with intention, to bring those traits to your negotiation, 
Studies show you actually you get more creative solutions. You get better buy-in. You get longer-lasting agreements. You can have more impact. So let's say I come with that win-lose approach or even thinking it's a win-win. I come thinking I want X, Dave. You come to the negotiation thinking you want Y. When we're both in that win-lose model, we're focused on each getting our own objective or maybe splitting the baby. But when both parties or even one takes the lead to come from a true place of understanding and wanting to meet the other side's needs, looking to respect and value our differences and find more creative solutions, all of a sudden the lid gets blown off. And instead of just getting X or Y, we're able to brainstorm and come up with solutions that are better than either of us could have anticipated as an original win. So I don't agree that it's somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. I think when we reframe how we see negotiation and conflict, we can come up with way more creative solutions that are better for everybody. Yeah, well, you said the key there, rapport building. Uh, very few people even consider that a part of negotiation because if you want to find out what this person wants to make him happy, uh, he might have something that you can live with. Yeah, I'm okay with Absolutely. that. I just want this. And yeah. you go, well, I'm okay with that. I just want this. Yeah. And you would never yeah. know it unless you started talking and just say, well, who is this person? You know, let's like be friends or something. And uh, even if you're buying a car, you know, maybe maybe they they want to trade. Yeah. Maybe you're trying to sell your car, but you got to sell it before you can buy this car. Maybe that's the car he wants to buy. Maybe a swap would work and, and you're both happy. Absolutely. You know I mean? And then I the other thing, go ahead. But I was just, just tying on that. If you look at, say, a commercial, when you talk about buying a car, let's say you're buying a big commercial rig, right? Um, and you're just focused on the price. If we go in under the traditional model, it's like, you know, the seller is like, I need to get this much money to make this deal work for me. And the purchaser is like, I only want to pay this to make it work. And yet, if they both communicate and bring that empathy to the table, truly putting yourself in the shoes, asking questions, you know, we're taught that the person who talks the loudest and longest in a negotiation is winning, and the opposite is true. Sit back, listen, really try to find what's motivating, and you'll often, and I've seen this in my legal practice, suddenly you'll find out that they have a commonality. This guy has to sell his truck because he's moving to Florida. And he's got a huge client list built up here, but he has to take off and he actually can't service them from Florida. So what about the guy who's buying the truck? Maybe you can actually get a lower price that the, that you, the other person can live with or pay a higher price, but you actually get access then to service this guy's former clients and you decide to network that way. And suddenly, the, that's what I'm talking about. New opportunities open up yeah. when you actually show up with an open mind to listen. Very creative too. And you know, I'm Middle Eastern. And there is a um, a stereotype about uh, Middle Easterners being very good negotiators and uh, <laughs> Jewish people. And so um, I have negotiated with people in the past where uh, I'll say, well, how much do you want for that? They say, oh, give me X number of dollars. And I'll say, okay. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, they enjoy <laughs> bickering and bartering. No, you you're supposed to, you know, ask for a lower price and I says oh yeah. okay I'm sorry I forgot I was Middle Eastern there for a minute no I don't want that I, I'm gonna give you this and then he comes you know and then uh, some people really like that don't they they like yeah. the bickering and the the uh, you know what's yeah. the word I'm looking for you know the, the, the conflict the confrontation yeah. uh, and uh, you know he wants to feel like 
I got a good, I got a good deal. So he can brag to his friends. Even in the, in the Proverbs, I was reading the other day, he says, you know, the the two people are haggling, and he says, what a terrible price, terrible price. And then he, when he gets it, finally he was bragging to his friends what a great deal he's got. So some people just yeah. like the dance, right? Well, it's funny. Part of it, I think, is the dance, and part of it is how we frame negotiation. But also, a lot of studies will show it's the psychology behind it. When you capitulate too quickly or too easily, the other party, because of our right. conditioning, is like, oh, my gosh, there had to be more on the table. I shouldn't. And then we, mm -hmm. we beat ourselves up, and the other person feels dissatisfied, ironically. And that's why, again, I feel so strongly about reframing what it means to show up and negotiate so that we don't come with that psychological... and. You know, as a trade union lawyer for, for 30 years, you can imagine I saw my fair share of chess beating where the parties are taking <laughs> positions at way extreme when it's Government. obvious everybody knows the deal is somewhere here and you spend forever posturing as opposed to spending all of that time. Imagine if we spent all that time and energy actually coming up with more creative and productive solutions even beyond what we think we're negotiating about. It is such an inordinate waste of energy. So... You know, um, politicians, there must be a mandatory course for them of negotiation <laughs> Negotiation, and um, uh, what's the other word I'm looking for? Uh, debate, because yeah. they have lost the art of debate. They have lost the art yeah. of negotiation. Instead, they just want to fight. And yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I don't get that. Yeah. So, well, uh, it's funny you say that, because really... That is a lost art because politicians use negotiation at its core, and that's why I say all of life is a negotiation. It's about influence and persuasion, right? And yeah. when you come in with that bullying approach, there's no influence and no genuine influence. You might get the yes if you bully your way through, but that's why I mm -hmm. said you don't get the, that real buy-in or those longer-lasting agreements or better relationships because you're getting bullied to get there. When I was the Barracuda, I'm not going to lie, I had great success, but there was also a really high cost that came with that. And when you negotiate from that more authentic place, you can get better results with better relationships and and no cost to yourself. And, it, you know, to be able to step into the fullness of the best version of yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going to talk when we after we take a break about uh, caregivers, because that's our audience, caregivers. And I believe caregivers are terrible negotiators <laughs> because... Yeah. They yeah. don't know how to delegate. They don't know how to say yeah. no. They don't know how to say yes, even, under the right circumstances. So we are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. So do not go away. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. 
you get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave Show with my guest Cindy Watson, and I'm Dave Nassani. And we are talking about the art, yes, it's an art, of negotiation. Because caregivers, I think, are terrible negotiators because, you know, they're they're stressed out, they're burned out, they uh, 30% of them actually die from the stress. So it's hard to be a good negotiator when you're all stressed out and you don't know whether you're coming or going. So what are some areas where caregivers can use negotiation in their daily lives? Uh, you're familiar with caregiving? Have you ever done it before? Yes, yes, we have, really? both for my mother and also more recently our Lots son got diagnosed with schizophrenia. So um, that has been uh, an interesting journey of caregiving uh, in a very unexpected way. With only a 23-year-old, it's uh, obviously been a shock. So definitely familiar with it. And I couldn't agree with you more, Dave. I mean, the problem with caregiving, uh, I think caregivers see themselves, by definition, obviously, as the caregiver. They see themselves mm -hmm. as the nurturer. And that often translates to a level of martyrdom, if I can speak bluntly. Mm -hmm. And I've been guilty of that. And so I think the first and most important negotiation for caregivers in particular, generally I would say this is the case, but for caregivers in particular, is negotiate that negotiation with yourself, right? Negotiating your own mindset. Um, you know, and by that I mean... Uh, you can't control what happens externally, right, especially when you're caregiving. I mean, there are so many things that can happen to, you know, your loved one or the person that you're caring for um, that are beyond your control, whether they're physical health, whether circumstances, look at COVID hitting us right now. But we can control how we choose to react, and we can control how to choose how we show up, and we have 100% control over the meaning that we attach to things, right? Because when we attach negative meanings to things, which when we allow ourselves to get in a, a, a state of stress, um, it can take on a life of its own and then problems compound really quickly. So the beauty is we get to hit reset every day, every moment of every day and decide who do I want to show up as? What limiting beliefs are holding me back, right? Is it a scarcity mindset about time? I don't have enough time. I invite people when, you know, in my coaching practice with my clients and in my masterminds, I'll often say, just what if you could flip that story, whatever those stories you've been telling yourself about your limiting belief, you know, what if you have all the time in the world because we get to prioritize, um, you know, to scarcity around money. Oh, my gosh, I can't possibly keep up with all of these bills. What if you approach from an abundance mindset? Because we tend to attract more of what we focus on. Same with love or possessions, right? Limiting beliefs about not being enough. But also as caregivers in particular, I'd really remind them and encourage your audience to think in terms of negotiating with yourself, you get what you tolerate in life. And I want to repeat that. You get what you tolerate. The more that we tolerate, um, the more we will continue to lower the bar. And at some point, we start losing perspective about where our caregiving ends and our self begins and we lose pieces of ourselves unless we get really clear about those boundaries. So negotiating with yourself is one really key area. Negotiating with your intimate partner, your kids, your family, your friends is an area for your um, caregivers that they want to get really intentional about. Suppliers, 
right? Or whether it's phone, insurance, banks, uh, hotels, travel, heck, or pet, we got to do a puppy at Christmas. Negotiating the dog is probably one of the toughest negotiations I've been dealing with lately. And obviously the person that you're caregiving for, as well as business deals. So again, I don't know if you want to talk about any of those in particular, but those are some areas that jump to mind that are important negotiations that your caregiver is going to be facing every day. Well, how interesting. You know, I've never really heard the term negotiating with yourself, but it makes sense because caregivers don't do enough self-care. And, you know, a lot of times they don't think they're worthy or they're too too guilty. They're not doing a good job. They're not doing uh, a good job at all. And how do you negotiate? Let's talk more about that. How do you negotiate with yourself? That's kind of interesting. Yeah, no, I love it. And it's so important. It's definitely worth digging into. So one is first getting intentional about recognizing that it is a negotiation. Most people don't, right? We just show up and we cope, especially caregivers. When you're in a coping mode, you tend to not be intentional. So one of the words you hear me use over and over again, again, it's a big part of my mastermind, is approach all of these negotiations with intention. So one of the, the keys that I do, a really, really simple exercise, just have um, ask yourself, who do I want to show up as? Who do I want to be seen as? And pick three words that would best describe that. And it's different for everybody, depending, maybe I want to be in a state of grace. Maybe I want to be present. Maybe I want to be mindful. Maybe I want to be bold, courageous. There's no right or wrong answer. So pick three words that would define how you want to show up. And then just write them on a little sticky pad and stick it on your bathroom mirror. And the reason I suggest your bathroom mirror is because at least that way, every evening when you're going to bed, while you're brushing your teeth, washing your face, whatever your nightly routine is, you know, when you have that moment to just take a breath, you have those three words staring you in the face and just take 30 seconds, not even if you don't feel you have that time, but just take a look at those three words, really breathe it in and ground yourself in making that intentional decision about who you want to show up as. So that then when you're going to bed, when your subconscious mind is most open, you're thinking about those three words and allowing them to imprint. And the same when you wake up in the morning. As you wake up every day, you're brushing your teeth, washing your face, whatever your morning routine is, you take that moment to look at those three words and decide, how do I want to show up? Who do I want to show up at? And you can change those words all the time throughout the day. If you're going into a meeting, you know, if you're caregiving but you have to scoot out to work, when you come back home again, you can have a trigger. For me, I pick the door jam. Every night when I could come home, especially as an attorney where you're in that sort of pull-on mode all day, come home, just touch that door jam as my trigger and think about my three words. Who do I want to be when I walk through this door? It's not the attorney. It's not the cross-examiner. Who do I want to show up as when I walk through this door? So that's one really simple exercise you can do. But so much of it just comes down to starting to reconnect with yourself. Who do you want to be? But also, you know, what do you want and expect out of life? And you need to love yourself unconditionally. And again, this may sound corny, but I always make my clients write a list of 25 things that you love about yourself. And you'd be shocked how hard that is for most people, women in particular, but for most people. If I asked Mm. you to make a list of 25 things you love about yourself right now and start that, I call it the brag journal, but add to that every night, put down something that you're proud of, that you like about yourself, that you recognize about yourself. That's a great starting place. That's a great question to start with a coaching session or just to find out where a person is at, where their self-image is at. Because yeah. most people, I mean, I would have no trouble giving you 25 things of things I like because I like me. <laughs> nice. You know, 
I am my best friend. (laughs) I am my own best friend. But people can't say that. Um, They're just programmed, and that's wrong. They really need to. Because what does even the Bible say? All you religious people out there, uh, the Bible says, love others. Well, they do that part good uh, to a fault. As you love yourself. Well, mm-hmm. wait a minute. You don't love yourself, so it's impossible Absolutely. to love others. So, yeah. you know, get get it in order. Put, put the horse in front of the cart instead of the cart in front of the horse. Uh, I want to go back to a couple of things um, you were talking about, and I was going to say something, but I forgot and I didn't. But I think there are uh, maybe two or three or four negotiating tips that we should always implement. Always, always, always. And one of them is when somebody does give you a price for something, for example, uh, I, I think we should squint a little. You know, I think we should, <laughs> we should say, oh, really? And then we should say, is that the best you can do? <laughs> Doing those two things have gotten me so much better deal. And because you never know, people are afraid to ask. Well, you know, I don't want to be that kind of negotiator. Well, you don't have to say anything. You just got to, like, you're a little constipated or you're, you're trying to pass <laughs> a, a kidney stone or something. <laughs> and, and that's nonverbal communication. You don't have to say anything. And they can see that. And he says, uh-oh, uh, that's too much. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. You know, let me just... You know, and if, if if you don't get any reaction, then you can say, I just said it this morning when somebody was uh, giving me a price on a, a sensor on my automatic door at the gas station. They said, well, you know, it's going to be $1,500. I said, oh, wow, you know, is, is that the best you can do? I thought it was like $1,000 last time we spoke. <laughs> oh, this is the same uh, quote that I gave you. In fact, I, I, I didn't raise my prices uh, to you. I raised them to everyone else. And he says, Oh, well, yeah, I appreciate that, but is that the best you can I do? Love, and I just said it. I you know? love it. He says, yeah. I love yeah. that. I says, okay. <laughs> so, well, I just want um, let me take that one level deeper because I love that. And it's funny, you would think that would be inconsistent with my philosophy, but interestingly, studies do show you're, you're exactly right, that when you give that little face, it's, you know, most negotiating tactic strategies, anything you read, that's one of the ones that are I'm calling it squinting. Is there a better word <laughs> for that? What? No, I love it. You just, you get that state, like, that kind of little cringe, right? Some kind of nonverbal reaction. Some kind um, of painful look. You know? Surprise, and that it's a pain point that you're taken by surprise because it makes them subconsciously, it makes the other person immediately question the level that they're at, right? It's yeah. like when you act so surprised. But the, the thing that'll take that to the next anything. level. It's, it's free to do that. And, yeah. you know, your odds are 50-50. It might work, you know? <laughs> I love it. And your odds will go up from 50 if tied to that you do that little bit about that rapport building and empathy piece by yes, you give that physical reaction it. and you give it and it's like I you you give them that because we all like to feel value right so I'll often use that tactic but I'll say oh wow not that you're not worth it I know <laughs> that what you've got what you offer is really valuable and blah 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 but wow and then come so you have that empathy you get that rapport building piece that little empathy piece that you can put yourself in their shoes and you recognize and appreciate the value and come and always ask we don't ask for what we want right. it's shocking how how infrequently we actually ask for what we want so i love and if that if you're talking to a used car dealer that that right there will get you a thousand dollars off the car yeah. 
And then there's one other thing that I suggest that everybody do, and this is just, you know, everybody. do the walk, do the takeaway, you know, walk away from, yeah. walk out of the showroom floor. You say, you know what? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll see you later. And you start okay. walking. And I can't tell you how many times, wait, wait, <laughs> come back. <laughs> I can talk to my third party here because he's the real boss. And maybe if I can, maybe, you know, good guy, bad guy, I'm the good guy. Yeah. I'm going to fight for you and this and that. There are so many things that we don't know and if we just knew we'd be in yeah. and that works with anything that works with kids i was watching yeah. a movie last night with uh, julia roberts and um she had a daughter teenage daughter no i think she was in college and she was like uh she was like 19. no maybe she was 18. she was just starting college and she says you know i i met this boy i like him He's a little older than me. Oh, really? How old? Well, 26. What? Well, <laughs> really? Oh, my gosh. Well, okay. He's he's kind of like 20-ish. And, okay, he's 21. Oh, I see what you did there. You started me at 26. <laughs> and the 21 didn't sound so bad. And that's true. And I heard another story about, uh, I don't want to take all your time up, but uh, yeah, where they wrote the mother a letter. Hey, you know, um, I'm doing okay. Uh, somebody hit me and I, I almost died. I'm in the hospital. But uh, they said I'll be able to walk again in a few weeks and this and that. And then when it comes down to it, says, I was actually kidding about all of that. But um, I, I skipped uh class and they caught me and and now you know i'm i'm going to get an f in this class and as long as you're all right you know it's like (laughs) kids are very good at this (laughs) we can utilize this too you know well it's funny i remember my dad you telling me i had a friend of mine in high school when you speak about the college experience her parents (laughs) were very religious and very strict and she was I wanted to date somebody who was outside of her faith and it was going to be a huge issue. And I remember my dad just calmly sitting back and saying, you know what you do? You pick somebody who you know is going to be the most offensive possible option for your parents and you bring them home and you introduce them. And then your boyfriend's actually going to seem like a great catch by comparison. So that's, that's that model. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. And it's funny when you say about walking away, because one of the things I often suggest, actually, for my, for my coaching clients is practice sometimes. Go to a flea market, you know, go to a garage sale and practice sort of your negotiation yeah, skills they and call practice you back. walking away, you know, <laughs> just practice being able to walk away how it feels without cringing, right? So. And it's so funny when I go to Tijuana, I mean, it's like, I really don't want the thing. I don't care what they were charging for. No, no, I, they start at $50. Next thing it's 40 yeah. Next thing it's 30 and I'm walking away. I really don't want it. And they're going to uh-huh. sell me something for 20 bucks that they wanted 50 for. And I said, yeah. really? You were going to try yeah. to get $50 out of me, and now you're willing to let it go for, for 20 um, Yeah. You know. Well, it's funny because anyway, in Mexico. What are some tips for negotiating the healthcare system? Because you ah. talk about uh, a hornet's nest. Oh, man, these people are intimidating. And they're just like, uh, some of them are kind of corrupt. I don't know. Yeah. 
Well, and it's compounded problems, Dave, and again, for your caregivers out there, such an important area, right? Because, I mean, compounded with already, if people are feeling intimidated about negotiating or don't see themselves already as a great negotiator, and then you throw in an environment where you're dealing with ex so-called experts and specialists, and we have that <clears throat> automatic, uh, sorry, pardon me. <laughs> We have that automatic belief that we afford them a certain credibility right out of the gate. And let me give you an example. Well, my daughter was born. She, at two months old, she got diagnosed with a really serious heart defect and she needed open heart surgery. And of course, you go in there, you're a parent, you know, you're a caregiver, you're terrified. Um, you start believing everything that they say and you're trying to navigate the system that's foreign. And the first time I would tentatively raise concerns about things that they were doing and everything that could go wrong went wrong. We spent three months in critical care with her. It was a nightmare. But after the first few times when my concerns got poo-pooed, right, and, um, and it turned out I was right, just based on a common sense approach, I started really, ironically, I was using the RFIT model long before I'd ever created it because I tapped into my intuition and I bought that rapport building where I created rapport with the nurses, with the doctors, with the administrators. I brought that empathy to the table with them. You know, I was flexible as a ground shifted under our feet every day, trusting my intuition, building trust with them. But ultimately, that A, being really assertive and standing in my ground and going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the world's leading cardiologist and trusting my intuition. And trusting myself, because that's hard sometimes when the stakes are really high, as they were. Every day was a life or death decision. So you got all these really letters being, after his name, and you don't. Yeah, and the arrogance. Like, at one point with, <laughs> with Jade, we um, she wasn't responding. Like, well, she'd been, as I say, almost three months in critical care. And um, they called us in and said, we're going to have to operate again. And she would not have survived. And I said, no, like, my gosh, she's not ready. And the cardiologist actually said to me, fine. If you're not going to let us operate, we won't, but we don't think she'll make it, and it'll be on your head. It was like, <laughs> good, good. like, wow. So, and then they called down the chief cardiologist, and I said, I want, and it's again, ask, ask, ask for your listeners out there, for those caregivers negotiating the healthcare system. Ask for what you want and need. And that cardiologist, very patronizing, said, Mom, I understand you don't think we've done everything we can. You know, what do you think we should do? And I had a list. I trusted my, I want you to do this with this medication, this with this, here's what we do. And sure enough, within a week after that, having had wow. no progress, we were out of critical care and on our way home with Jade. So yeah. don't be intimidated. Yeah, and trust your intuit, trust yourself. You know the person you're mm. caregiving better than these experts do. Trust your intuition on that, right? Yeah. And as I say, use that sort of R-fit model as your foundation yeah. when you're stepping in. So Same thing happened with my wife. She was having a stroke. Uh, I didn't know what to do. So I called the paramedics. They said, yeah, she's having a stroke. And then they asked me a question I was unprepared for. They said, where do you want us to take her? Seems like a pretty innocent question. Well, to the hospital. Yeah. Well, which <laughs> hospital? There's a one five minutes away, and there's one 15 minutes away. The one five minutes away is a small privately owned hospital that doesn't even own a CAT scan machine. And then there's the big medical center that has everything you could ever hope for. And I says, I surrendered my wisdom yeah. and I says, I don't know, where would you take yeah. your wife if she was having a stroke? <laughs> Trusting that these guys would do the right thing. Yeah. Well, they didn't do the right thing. Yeah. They just looked at wow. each other and says, well, let's take them to the closest place. Yeah. And that was the worst yeah. thing they could have done because as a result, she lost her speech, she became paralyzed on one side. And if she had gone the extra 10 minutes to the medical center, she'd be perfectly yeah. normal today. So, oh, uh, Dave, I'm so you know, sorry. 
Yeah, I mean, we can't uh, cry over spilled milk, but uh, others can learn from my mistakes. Uh, yeah. we, we need to know the signs of stroke because it could happen to you. We need to know yeah. uh, diabetes. You need to be a, a Google <laughs> because yeah. one second can change your life like that. So yeah. we're going to take another break first, and then sure. we will get back to your next point. Please write it down so you don't forget it. <laughs> I <laughs> you bet. Down all the time. So we'll be right back. We'll go in. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave Show with my guest Cindy Watson and I'm Dave Nassani and you are watching the Caregiver Dave Show. And what were you going to say before the break? Well, I just loved it. It was interesting when you talked about the situation with your wife and you said, I surrendered my authority. And that was, I think that was the language, such perfect language, because I think that is what most people do in that environment. In the healthcare system, we assume there are people who have the expertise and we surrender our autonomy and authority to those yeah. people, right? And you end up caving in. So, and you particularly see that, that I find it exponentially so in the mental health care system. As I mentioned earlier, we've now are having to deal with the situation with our son who's being diagnosed with schizophrenia. And I got to tell you that it has been a nightmare. Okay. And I thank my stars every day that I teach negotiation because without it, I cannot even imagine how horrible it would be because it's been a horrific experience. Something as simple as visit visitation. Um, you know, with COVID right now, obviously everybody's just accepting, oh, sorry, I can't visit my loved one in the hospital. <laughs> and that takes me to the next tip. You know, I talked about ask for what you want, but also, you know, trust when you know that you're right, don't take no for an answer. In fact, some people say the negotiation doesn't even start until you, you hear your first no. I don't know that I agree with that philosophy, but I do agree that no is certainly not the end of a negotiation. I've got to say, at the time after COVID hit, there was one period when I had my mother, um, my stepfather, and my son all in the hospital at the same time, different hospitals. Wow. And we were being told, no visitation, no visitation, no visitation. I just would not accept that no. And again, using that RFIT model, always respectful, but not once did I end up getting denied visitation for the entire period they, they were there. And my son was in for seven weeks for one stay. And we, I just negotiated visitation at, in each of the hospitals for each of them. And then at first they said no visitation. Then they said, fine, you can do it once a week. I said, that's not satisfactory. Here's how far away <laughs> I am, the drive. You can only have it for one hour. No, I'm sorry. I really understand the concerns, blah, blah, blah. So just don't take that no for an answer. Yeah. 
And I must have been a good negotiator because they let me sleep in the bed beside my wife for six weeks. Uh, I don't know how they did that, but uh, thankful for it. But yeah, and so important for you and for them, right? Um, And it's funny you say about sleeping in the bed because when we go back to Jade, when I was telling my daughter, the one nurse as well, finally, because. You know, I mean, Jade was still, you know, practically a newborn, and she was in one of those little incubators for the whole time and finally negotiated to get them to bring a big-ass crib in, and (laughs) I was able to get right in the crib with her. So important for her to have that human connection as as only a two-month-old to five-month being in the hospital and sterile, but so important for me as that caregiver to be able Uh, to have that connection again, right? So really asking for what you need. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of spousal caregivers out there like I am. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't think of the relationship with their loved one as a negotiation. But explain how we can use negotiation to enhance the spousal relationship or the parent relationship or the sibling mm. relationship. Because a lot of times there's some friction between siblings, you know, because there's the favorite one and then there's the one that that mom wants yeah. to be the caregiver <laughs> and yeah. uh, the, she doesn't want that one coming by or whatever, yeah. you know, just all the, all the crap comes to the top of the, uh, or the cream, uh, not cream, because cream is good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the drop rises to the top when you're purifying gold. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, Yeah, and you're quite right. I think most people don't think of their relationship with their loved ones as a negotiation at all, which puts you at a disadvantage right out of the gate, right? So again, just being intentional about recognizing it as a negotiation will already enhance your skills at getting more effective results. So let me say that right out of the gate. And if we talk about the kids first, for example, when they're younger, and this may sound obvious, but remember that kids are people too. We do have a tendency to sort of trivialize them or make them less than, right? Their their views on things, because of course we've got a world of experience and their views seem so unimportant. But you gotta remember back to them, it's their entire world. And communication, we all communicate differently, right? I mean, certainly when you're dealing with a younger child, your verbal skills are gonna be more advanced than theirs. So recognizing that we all communicate in those different ways. And even as teens, you know, they're still trying to find their voice. And later in life, the dynamic of parent and child colors how people end up communicating. Active listening, super important, Dave, right? Give your full attention. Again, you would think it goes without saying no distractions, but in our busy to do world, we're all, we've got our phones, we're multitasking. Just make that eye contact, be engaged, stay open, avoid criticism or blame, pay attention to body language. Don't put words in their mouth, even, and in fact, I'd say especially if they're having trouble finding the words, let them find it, right? And think about their language of love. We all give and receive love in different ways. And this, frankly, all of those comments apply equally to your kids and to your intimate partners, right? Um, you know, using my husband, for example, you know, his language of love from the book of the same name is the acts of service. Well, that drives me crazy. If he thinks I'm upset, he'll go and do the dishes or whatever. Well, mm-hmm. I'm a quality time language of love. So we're at cross purposes. So being able to take a step back and recognizing that, that is his language of love. So give him credit for that and recognize the yeah. effort, even if it's not what I need in that moment. But I would say the, the biggie is what I call the five W's, whether with your kids or your intimate partner, I call them our five secret weapons. And that's who, what, where, when, why, right? Pick your who. Who do I want to show up as in this conversation? 
with your kids, for example, sometimes I want to show up in mom mode. And sometimes I'm never going to get the result I want if I'm in full-on mom mode, right? So who yeah. should be involved in the conversation? Some conversations should be me just one-on-one with, you know, with my son. Some of them maybe my husband would get better traction. You know, what is it you really want as an outcome? Even if you could win that negotiation in the traditional sense, sometimes, you know, discretion is a better part of value. If allowing your kid or your intimate partner to win that particular negotiation for the sake of the relationship or for their confidence or for their skill building, consider your relationship outcomes in addition to the actual outcome that you want. But also the yeah. where and when. With your partner, good example is when we play games with our kids. We sometimes let yeah. them win. <laughs> Absolutely, and deciding where you're going to have them. You know, with your intimate partner, some conversations should take place in the bedroom, and some you never want to take place in the bedroom, right? So considering that with intention and the when. As kids, we knew intuitively. Don't go asking your parents for something if they're in a pissy mood, and we forget <laughs> that timing is important as adults, right? And ultimately, yeah. that deep why. What is driving them? You know, whether it's your kids or your intimate partner, I always say negotiations are like an iceberg. You know, you've only got about 10%. What they're saying, the stated needs, are just the tip of the iceberg. But it's yeah. all those unstated needs and unconscious needs that you want to really mine into to get better results, right? Yeah. Hey, so we're coming up uh, on the end of the program. In the last few minutes, wow. uh, I, I know you have a free ebook, uh, No FEAR, spells fear. Negotiating. <laughs> what is no fear negotiating, and how can it help caregivers? I love that. It's well. It's one of my models. You, you can tell I love acronyms. I've got the R Fit model. Your five W's, and no fear is just F-E-A-R. the pairing real. No, although that is that's a yeah. You got one too. Absolutely. So we've got. Hold on. Let me just get rid of someone's trainer. Hold through here. So no fear is just recognizing going into a negotiation, no fear, which is fear of failure we have often, fear of rejection, fear of success, fear of the unknown, fear of missing out. These are all fears that the average person brings. And as a caregiver especially, there can be a lot of fear around your loved one or the person you're caring for. So recognize your fears, you know, sort of own them and use them to fuel you. The E is for ego. You know, no ego. Ego can show up as wanting to be liked, you know, sometimes talking too much, being that reactivity that comes from it, so no ego. A is attachment. You talked earlier about walking away. Never get so attached to any one result that you're not prepared to walk away if it doesn't serve you anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And R, reactivity. Know to bring emotion to your negotiations. In other words, know your deep why and the other side's deep why, but don't be emotional in your negotiations. Don't be reactive because then you lose power and control. So again, people can grab that. Do tears help in a negotiation, by the way? Uh, they can, but Some I Some people can turn only, it on like that, can't they? I was going to say only if they're authentic, because it's true. When you're <laughs> using anything like that as a tactic, integrity is one of the deadly sins of negotiation, a lack of integrity. And I would call that fake tears, fake posturing. Those kind of <laughs> tactics ultimately don't serve you. Yeah, they should be an actor or an actress, right? Yeah, absolutely. Pick another profession and don't bring it to your personal negotiations or your professional ones for that matter. <laughs> so you also have a free ebook, Five Secret Weapons of Effective Negotiation. This sounds like a good one. What are the five secrets and how can caregivers use them? And how do we get these free ebooks? Yeah, well, all of that, I actually have a number of free resources because, as I say, I feel very passionately about this. So definitely just go check out my website. It's www.womenonpurpose.com 
.ca, noted.ca, and it's women plural, women on purpose, but it'll apply equally for men or women out there. Um, and the five secret weapons are those five W's I talked about, but I go into much more depth because I really believe they're a huge elevator. When you get really intentional about just taking a little bit of time before a negotiation to consider those five W's, you're going to increase your influence, increase your persuasion, and get more of what you want and better results in the process for everyone. Cool. Um, so we can get a hold of you as well if we just want to talk to you or whatever. Uh, you've got a website and you've got uh, email. Or can they get the email from your website? Contact. Uh, they, yeah, they can. Or I'll just say Cindy at womenonpurpose.ca. I'm also on Clubhouse now. I've got a, a club called Negotiation and Persuasion. So feel free to drop in there and uh, join my Facebook community as well, Women on Purpose uh, community, and lots of free resources in all of those places. So, A lot of people are doing Clubhouse now. Do you know what Clubhouse is? Yeah, I, as I say, I'm just sort of new to it. It's a, it's a new social media platform. It's a, in the beta yeah. phase now, but it's, all, it's only available for Apple iPhone users. Apple, right. But I'm on it. I'll look for but you. you. You should try it out, actually, Dave. You should start a care um, a caregivers club. I'm on it. Somebody somebody brought oh. me in. I've got I've got yeah. uh, 300 followers already. <laughs> Fantastic. Good for you. I, I love it. It's an interesting. I can't find the time to do selling. it because it's very it's very addictive. You know, it is addictive and it is time consuming. But uh, but it's an interesting real conversation. Like people aren't on there selling the way they are on Facebook. I find like they're just authentic, interesting conversations. Right. It's kind right. of a neat platform. Well, if you want to do a, uh, a room one time, just let me know and we'll see if I can. I'd love away. that. That's yeah. a great idea. I love that. All right. So. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show, and oh, I thank everybody for, for coming me. on the show. You've got your contact information. My contact's easy. It's caregiverdave.com, and um, all the platforms that I mentioned on iTunes and YouTube and iHeartRadio uh, is where you can hear this show again if, if you missed it. And um, there's some free gifts at caregiverdave.com if you just visit there that will help you become a better caregiver. So, Cindy, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And until next time, uh, I will say bye-bye. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing.